The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that California voted down universal health care. Yet again, universal health care fails to pass in a state that is blue to the core, that has absolutely no political opposition. California needed only 41 of 56 Democrats to vote for AB 1400, which is the California single-payer health care system, and right before the vote, the bill was pulled, and it did not pass. And once again, we see an excellent example of the fact that the people who are trying to force universal health care, single-payer health care, socialized medicine, whatever you want to call it, the people who are trying to force that on you, they know it doesn't work. They know it won't work. They know you're going to hate it. And so they're very strategic about how they push these things. And I want to take a little bit of a closer look at this. And I want to talk about the fact that single-payer system, which is basically a tenet of socialism, fails because socialism fails. And that the way to true freedom and true prosperity is through free markets. Now, we talk about it all the time on this show about the four ways to spend money. I always bring it up because I think it's just so important and you should be able to rattle it off and think about it in your own lives because it's so important. But the great Milton Friedman, the great economist, talked about the four ways to spend money. You can spend your money on yourself. That is the best way to spend money. It's your money. You're spending on it on yourself because it's your money. The cost matters. And because it's on yourself, whatever you're getting, the good or the service, quality matters. You can spend your money on somebody else that's not as good. In that scenario, cost matters, but quality not so much. It's your money, so of course the cost is going to be an issue and you're going to be a good consumer and you're going to shop for the best deals. The quality doesn't matter so much because the good or service that you're getting, it's not for you, it's for someone else. You can spend other people's money on yourself and that system is not a great situation because the cost doesn't matter it's other people's money quality of the good or product does matter because it's on yourself and then the absolute worst way to spend money which is the way the government does it is other people's money on other people neither cost nor quality matters and you get massive costs and low quality and that's exactly what happens in socialized medicine and we see it time and time again Everywhere socialized medicine is implemented, the costs skyrocket, they go through the roof, and the quality of the care uh, becomes the worst you can imagine. And we talk about that with my experiences at the VA, which is ostensibly the socialized medicine system in the United States, which is a complete government-controlled system. And it really, in my opinion, exemplifies just how much of a failure socialized medicine is because the veterans who qualify for Uh, VA services in this country is such a small number. So you have a relatively small number with a relatively large bank account, and we still can't even manage to give our veterans who deserve the best possible care. We can't afford to give them decent care. Now, if we look a little bit at this AB 1400, and you guys need to pay attention to it too, because it just 
didn't pass, I think it was yesterday or the day before, it's not dead. The people that want to push single payer, they're never gonna. It's never gonna go away. They will always be there. This will be a battle long after I'm gone. And so I find it my duty to educate folks and to open people's eyes so that you can be constantly vigilant. And whenever you have an opportunity to influence the way other people think or to vote, you need to vote down this absolutely catastrophic concept of socialized medicine. But in this uh, AB 1400, you got a blue state in California that is absolutely completely controlled by Democrats. Uh, They had, I want to say, a 16-seat advantage in the state assembly, and yet they were still unable to pass it. You have to ask yourself why. They're always telling us how amazing socialized medicine is. They're always telling us how Healthcare is a universal right. That's that uh, a human right. I mean, that's utterly ridiculous, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But you can't confer a right on somebody that also confers an obligation on another person. We call that slavery, and so that that is just a ridiculous statement. But they say it all the time. They always tell us how implementing a universal healthcare system is going to save money. So here they had an opportunity with absolutely no opposition in a blue state where just about every single politician, not everyone, but most of them are Democrat. There's literally no opposition to this. You have a population that is as open to a government-run universal system as you could ever find, and yet it still didn't pass. And you have to ask the question, why? Well, let's examine that, because I think it's going to open your eyes a little bit to just how horrible universal health care or socialized medicine is. Now, Mind you, whenever they do these estimates about how much something is going to cost, you know, it's always grossly, grossly underestimated. And I mean, it's laughable at this point. I'm 56 years old. I've been listening to, you know, whenever they come on the news, they always call it the uh, nonpartisan uh, congressional budget office, the CBO. And they always talk about CBO scoring. We've got Obamacare, and CBO scoring says it's going to make everybody a million dollars. And people just go on as if that's legit when you're really just taking a system and you put garbage in, you get garbage out. It's not really looking at um, at the reality of uh, you know a cost benefit analysis. It's not really looking at an accurate P and L sheet. They constantly leave things off to make sure that the numbers come out acceptable. So whenever you see these numbers where they estimate how much a program, a government program is going to cost, you know it's going to be ridiculously underestimated. So if the number that they estimate is ridiculous, you better run for the hills because we know it's going to be way more than that. And that's essentially what happened here. Um, When you look at it closely, they estimated that it was going to cost somewhere around 391 billion dollars um, to implement this AB 1400, the single-payer health care system in, in um, California. It looked like they were going to have to raise an additional $163 billion uh, uh, in taxes per year. Uh, this implementing this AB 1400 was going to be more than the entire state's budget as it stands. And, you know, roughly the way we were looking at it is they estimated a cost of $400 billion. Again, that's obviously going to be very low because these estimates are always massively low. They were looking at raising $200 billion 
uh, from uh, increased taxes, but they needed to secure another $200 billion in federal money. Now, when Gavin Newsom was asked about the failure of AB 1400, this California single-payer system, of course he acted surprised, and if if he, he didn't know anything about it, as if this this most important tenet of the left-wing Democrats or, you know, socialized medicine is what they're constantly trying to get, not because they think it's going to deliver great health care or save us money, but it because it confers massive amounts of power uh, into the government. That's why they want it. And uh, basically, Gavin Newsom said the quiet part out loud, where he basically said uh, the reason, one of the reasons it didn't fail was they failed to secure uh the money inflow from the federal government. You might ask yourself, what is so important about securing federal dollars with these uh, single-payer health care systems? Well, our government has gotten very corrupt. It's always been corrupt on some level. It's just the nature of, of uh, governments, um, people acting in their self-interest, and then you get uh, some negative actors in there. And the idea of our founding in this country was to have limited government and separation of powers and this would and and also we were founded on judeo-christian principles meaning we were trying to establish a moral society so that we would adhere to our laws that of course seems to be going out the window but the government has gotten very good at printing money and that's really uh, one of the big things they're trying to do, and I, I digress a little bit, but you know, with the age of COVID and and using the COVID pandemic to sort of push their their uh, their agenda, you know, they were able to use the pandemic as an excuse to get people to stay home, and that allowed them to create essentially a universal income. So we're now paying people to stay home under the guise that it's so dangerous to go out into the world because of this new disease. And people are, you know, okay, well, I'm generally against universal health uh, or universal income, but because of the pandemic, I'll go along with it. And so now we're paying people to stay home and we're seeing that businesses are having uh, difficulty getting people to go back to work because the government is paying them more money to stay at home and not work. And I understand that the jobs numbers where they were expecting a 200,000 job increase, I think they're going to be seeing uh, on Friday, I think they're going to be reporting a negative 300,000 jobs. So basically just a catastrophic uh, uh, failure here of our government. But the reason that you need to incorporate federal dollars is they can print money. The states cannot print money. And so if California goes and they pass a single-payer health care system, the people who pass it, even though they love it, they love it because it gives the state Massive power, not because it gives you great health care or it saves money. It doesn't. Uh, but they love it because of the massive power. But what they know is they're not going to be able to print money. And they know that the taxpayers in California are going to experience massive, massive tax hikes. And they're going to see massive, massive rationing of their health care. And it will be so catastrophic that they won't be able to conceal and blame it on other other people and, you know, other situations. Now, you might say to yourself, well, you know, what do I care what goes on in California? Those people are idiots. I moved to Florida or Georgia or somewhere that's a little more free. And if they want to implement uh, socialized medicine, what does that matter to me? Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) The states are very good at getting federal dollars. 
they do this all the time. I mean, for goodness sakes, we just passed a $2 trillion COVID relief package. We also passed some sort of infrastructure. The money's so ridiculous right now, we don't even pay attention to it anymore. Our deficit just went up to $30 trillion, or our debt, $30 trillion. It's an incomprehensible amount of money. And our politicians are basically just drunk with power. They see no consequences because most of them uh, uh, just either don't have the education or simply not smart enough or they're just so maniacal they don't care. But they don't understand how this record inflation that we're experiencing is caused by their policies, caused by them printing money. But what will happen is California will implement a socialized medicine system. And as they start going down the tubes, which they will, because every time socialized medicine is implemented, we see rationing of care to a horrible of, uh, um, extent, and I'm going to show you some of that today. And we also see costs going through the roof. And so what they're going to need to do is they're going to need to shunt money uh, from the federal government to these states to prop them up. And that's going to have an effect on you wherever you live, because your inflation is going to go up, your costs of goods and services are going to go up. And so if California or New York or any of these other blue states ends up passing socialized medicine, you're going to end up footing the bill through the shenanigans that go on uh, at the federal government. So you do have a vested interest in making sure even these kooky states like New York and California don't pass something like this. But in the end, um, <clears throat> there are some other uh, sneaky little things in here. Basically, according to the California Constitution, they have what's known as Proposition 13, which requires a two-thirds majority vote to increase taxes. Had this AB 1400, this universal uh, California health care system passed, it would have allowed them to increase taxes uh, with a simple majority. And so you would have seen this $200 billion cost uh, uh, per year um, requiring them to raise taxes on the state uh, even more over time. And, um, you know, you were looking at the most massive tax increase uh, in the state's history. So uh, I wanted to look a little bit, too, at some other states that have toyed with this. We know that New York has what is known as the New York Health Act. And I, I wasn't aware of this, but apparently New York's uh, state assembly has passed this universal health care bill five times between 1992 and 2018. And it's always been rejected by uh, the Senate. Uh, they understood and again, these are Democrats who are absolutely committed to single-payer socialized medicine that understood that if they were to implement universal health care in New York, that the estimated cost increase would consume all federal dollars currently earmarked for public health, meaning Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare. This would all go towards implementing this universal health care, and they would still uh, require the state legislators to double the tax burden, which is already the highest in the nation. So in order for New York to even consider implementing socialized medicine, they would have to double their tax burden on their state citizens. And of course, we've already discussed the fact that this estimate is obviously um, way, 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 way low. So they would actually have to do it even more. Uh, and so they understood that if they were to do that, 
the citizens of New York would be able to blame the politicians. It would be too hard as the system collapsed, as their taxes went through the roof, and as their health care was rationed and the quality of that health care deteriorated beyond recognition, it would be impossible for the politicians to hide and blame it on something else. Uh, we also saw this in Vermont. Uh, the Green Mountain Care is what they called it, and it was passed in 2011, and it was pulled by then-Democratic Governor Peter Shumlin, uh, in 2015, and the reason was the 150% increase in taxes and an estimated deficit in 2020, which would require additional tax hikes. And so even in a state like Vermont that has a relatively robust population, a small population, my point being, if socialized medicine was ever going to work, meaning these people are spread out, you know, they're not in concentrated cities, they tend to be healthy people. Uh, even in a situation like that where you would expect socialized medicine to have its best effect, uh, it, it failed. And so one of the things that I've always kind of ex explained to you guys that I do is don't listen to what people say. Watch what people do. That is the most important thing to figure out what's going on. And, you know, I talk about it with the masks. You know, we see... Um, Fauci, and we see Nancy Pelosi, and we see AOC and all these people talking up masks. Uh, but when they go to their own events, their own parties, we saw Gavin Newsom recently at the Super Bowl with Magic Johnson, no mask. Um, of course, your kids will be, you know, sent to detention and expelled from school. I'm being hyperbolic. I mean, your kids are forced to wear masks, but the elites, they never have to follow their own rules. Only us peasants have to follow the rules. Uh, you listen to these people talk to you about climate change and how the oceans are going to be rising and New York is going to be underwater. They tell us it all the time. 20, 30 years go by, New York's still not underwater, uh, but they still tell us you have to give me all your money and give me all the power so that I can save you from climate change. Uh, it's just ridiculous. And then we see the Obamas go to the beach and buy, you know, massive expensive mansions right on the water which seems odd to me if you're expecting the ocean to flood that place in the next couple of years why would you invest all that money in the house and the reason is they don't believe this stuff right that's why you watch what they do don't listen to what they say and the same thing is true about socialized medicine here you have these blue states in new york and california and vermont with literally no political opposition they have a patient or I'm sorry, they have a citizenry who would be as open to socialized medicine as any group of citizens you could imagine. And they still refuse to do it because they're not stupid, because they know that if we implement socialized medicine, that it's going to blow the doors off costs. You're going to get horrible care and you're going to get incredible wait times. Now, we talked about the four ways to spend money. Super important that you all understand that. The best way to spend money is you spending your money on yourself. Next would be you spending your money on somebody else. The next way would be spending other people's money on yourself. And then the absolute worst way to spend money, the way the government does it, is spending other people's money on other people. And the reason that doesn't work is because when you're spending other people's money, you couldn't care less about the cost. And when you spend it on other people, you couldn't care less about the quality. Now, I always think about things as I've gotten older. When I look at the world, some of the stuff I figure out on my own, you know, and I, I wonder why other people can't do the same thing because 
a lot of this is not hard to me. You know, I, I've gone camping uh, many times back in the day with my college buddies. We used to go up in California, up on the Feather River. We'd go up and stay for a long weekend, and, you know, we'd play wiffle ball and play poker at all hours of the night. We'd go river rafting and cliff jumping. It was a great time. And every time we would go up there, and there'd probably be, I don't know, 15 or 20 of us, sometimes more, you'd always notice that there would be some guys who would go and set up the tents. There would be some guys that would go and get the firewood together. There would be some guys that would, you know, start building the fire and start cooking food. And then there were always some people who would just open up a lawn chair, crack a beer, and sit down and watch everybody else doing the work. Now, it seems kind of humorous, but that's how human beings are. We all have different personality types. Uh, some people work hard. Some people don't. And when you're out camping on the Feather River with your buddies, it really doesn't matter much if they help um, set up the tent or if they help kick the food or if they're just going to sit there and crack a beer and let you do all the work. Because I enjoy their company. They're my friends. And... It's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. But when you're talking about whether or not my children are going to be able to have access to health care, well, it matters to me if you're the person who chooses to sit in the chair and crack a beer and you're not going to get up and help. And that's what these Democrats and these left-wing people who are always trying to implement socialized medicine and socialism in general fail to understand is that people have different motivations, different incentives, and that if we don't have an incentive out there, people aren't going to do anything, and that's why you end up getting no production. And the left never seems to understand that. They're always incentivizing people not to work, and that's what we got right now, right? They COVID came along. It's too dangerous to go outside, so we're just going to steal money from the people who earned it, and we're going to give it to everybody else to sit at home. And then the people are sitting at home, and they're kind of like, you know, this is not bad. I'm making money. I don't have to go to my job, which I didn't really like in the first place. They're actually paying me more money not to work. It's like, ah, you know, I really am pretty scared of this COVID, and so I don't want to go out. This is utterly ridiculous. And when you see it in healthcare, it's magnified. And I'm here to tell you, what I always like to do is I, I, I get concerned when I start getting a little statistic-y because sometimes, you know, I want to give you guys data and, uh, you know, I try to find articles and I try to find data so that I can share with you some data to give perspective. But in the end, what really is important that I can give to you is my experience, things that I've seen with my own eyes. So it's not a matter of uh, some person who's not in medicine uh, giving you wonky statistics about something. It's me just telling you this is what I see with my own eyes. You don't have to love it, uh, but it's just it's what I see. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I used to, my father used to send me to an awesome soccer camp in Northern Virginia. I loved it. It was six weeks, and you know you'd go to this college uh, in in Virginia, and you're out there for six weeks, and it's just soccer all day long with all these. They'd have pro soccer players coming in to coach us, and it was just a really fun time. And uh, I remember I used to go and call my dad, and I'd I'd want to tell him, you know, how my day was, how things were going, and I would take a dime. And a friend of mine taught me how you call collect. Well, you take that dime, you stick it in the, at the time, it was a dime for a phone call. That's how long ago this was. But you'd stick the dime in the phone, in the, in the phone, uh, the pay phone. Many of you probably don't even know what a pay phone is, but before the age of cell phones, they used to have these phones that were, you know, freestanding or on a wall or something. And you could take change and put it in there and you could make phone calls. Well, one of the things we used to do was call collect. So you could uh, dial your number, and I, I can't remember how you do it, but you dial zero and then the number, and you would just say into the phone, I want to call collect. And then the phone would ring where you were calling, and the operator would 
would say to the person who answered, I have a collect call from Scott. Do you accept? And the person on the other end would either say, no, I don't accept, and, uh, and, and hang up the phone. Now, that was kind of a sneaky thing we would do where, you know, for example, if I had to let my father know I was ready to be picked up from soccer practice or something, I could call collect, and then he'd know I'm ready, and he'd just say, no, I don't accept the call, and we managed to, uh, to get it done. Uh, but uh, anyway, I had no concept that I was spending money. To me, I put the dime in the machine. I called collect. My father answered the phone. The operator said, got a collect call from Scott. Do you accept the charges? And my father would say yes. So I'd start talking to my dad. Oh, it's great. You know, we had we had practice and we worked on our shooting. And, uh, you know, we went to the cafeteria and there was all this food. And I got a ton of it, but I didn't really eat much of it. I ended up throwing most of it away because it was free. And uh, my father would say to me, like, hey, Scott, you know, you, I'm glad you're having a good time. But, uh, you know, you don't have to be calling me all the time to tell me about it. Uh, and I, what's the big deal, Dad? And he goes, well, it gets kind of pricey when you call collect all the time. It's running up my phone bill. And, you know, I, I'd like you to be careful about that. And I said, Dad, don't worry. I'm using the same dime every time I call you. I had no concept as a you know, 12-year-old or 11-year-old what I was that they were actually charging my father on the phone bill. In my mind, I was putting the dime in. I'd get the dime back, and it was a free phone call. Well, that is what these Democrats and these politicians do when they keep telling you you're going to get free health care. They're giving you the dime back in the phone, and they're submitting the bill somewhere else, and we're all paying for that. It all has effect on the quality of care we get, the access to care we get, and the rationing that we get, and the costs. And the problem is the more bureaucrats we put in line to implement this healthcare system, they all have sticky fingers and they all have to take our, their cut, which tends to drive up the cost rather than having a point of service where we have direct care. Meaning if you're my patient, you come to see me, I'm providing you with a service, you have to spend money in the best way possible, meaning you're going to spend your money on yourself and you're going to make demands of me that I deliver quality care for you. And you know what else? You're going to maintain options, meaning if you don't like what I have to say or you don't like the way I treat you, you're free to go somewhere else in the marketplace and find somebody who's better able to deliver the good or service that you want. This is obvious stuff. It is obvious stuff and it's obvious in your own life. And you need to put two and two together and you need to start figuring it out. This, these buzzwords where they say, uh, you know, healthcare is a human right because they're trying to play on your emotions. They're trying to get you to believe that healthcare is a right. Well, I mean, if somebody's born, is food a right? Is shelter a right? Is clothing a right? I mean, nobody wants anybody to suffer. Nobody wants anybody, and I, you know, I, I would say most people, I certainly don't want any, I, I don't wish ill will on anybody. But the thing is, if you're born into this world, a free person, you can't be born into this world requiring demands of other people. Now, obviously, in a civil society, we band together to help one another, and I'm not suggesting that we don't do that, but in a free market, that is where the most charitable behavior comes from in a society that is predicated on Judeo-Christian values. That is where you get the moral fortitude in a society of people to take care of their own. It doesn't happen from the government, and I'm going to show it to you. The government is draconian. The government is a bottom line. They don't have, they don't have uh, mercy in them. They don't have compassion in them. 
and um, I, you know, I'm going to show it to you. When when I think of a government bureaucracy, uh, I think of a top-down, one-size-fits-all entity running something that they have no expertise in. Right. So we saw this in Venezuela, where Venezuela before Hugo Chavez came into power was, I I want to say it was the second richest country in the Western Hemisphere, but it was very doing very well. It had a great oil supply. And the citizens of Venezuela voted in socialism. Uh, You know, they they like to use this phrase democratic socialism to make it sound like you're voting for something that you somehow have control. It's only democratic the first time you vote them into power. Once they seize control of everything, you're done. Now you just get in line and you do what they say. And what we, they literally, I can remember Sean Penn and Madonna and Danny Glover and all these actors talking about how amazing Hugo Chavez was, that Venezuela had it. They were doing everything the correct way. And then Hugo Chavez comes into power. He implements socialism, which quickly moves to communism because as soon as the people that are under socialism realize what they've done and they want to get rid of it, that's when the force comes out and it becomes communism. And then you saw Venezuela collapse. It became an impoverished nation. They're, you know, people not able to find toilet paper and they're literally starving in the streets. And this happened right before our eyes. And I don't hear Madonna. I don't hear Sean Penn, Danny Glover. Where are these people? Venezuela did exactly what they want to do here. They crashed and burned. And yet we don't get to talk about it now. This is utterly ridiculous. And the reason is you get people who took over the oil in Venezuela that knew nothing about oil. And so they were unable to run it and they ran it into the ground. And then the people who are elite... As the, as the resources diminish, they always make sure that the elites have what they want. Uh, but then the peasants, they, they're the ones who have to suffer. And that's why the people who are socialists always tend to be the people who are running the show. Uh, the people who actually have to live under socialism, they don't get along so well. David, you having me go to a break? All right. So apparently I'm missing the fact that we got to go to a break. So we're going to pick this up when I get back. You're listening to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber. You're listening to me on America's Web Radio, and we will be right back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, 
please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. And today we are discussing the fact that California voted down their single-payer universal health care system, despite the fact that they had an overwhelming Democratic majority in their uh, state legislature. They have a state that is filled with citizens that would be the most amenable to socialized medicine of any group of people you could imagine, and yet they still chose not to proceed with this socialized medicine canard. And you must ask yourself, why didn't they do it? And the reason is, is because they know it won't work, and they know the conditions were such that if they were to implement this socialized medicine system in California, that taxes would have gone up massively, that healthcare rationing and quality would have gone down massively, that they did not have the uh, security of federal dollars. And it's remember when you implement a socialized medicine program, the money has got to come from the federal government because that's the only place where they can print funny money. Now, in the end, that drives up inflation and, and messes with the economy in the way that we're experiencing right now. But it's a little bit easier for the the power brokers to lie about it. Uh, in a state like California, if they implement it, it would have been really difficult as the healthcare system collapsed and the taxes increased and the economy increased and the fact that people can leave, right? People are leaving in droves, places like California and New York, because their policies are failing epically. And so even the essentially communists that populate California realized that it would have been a, a a foolish endeavor to pass this socialized medicine system. And one of the reasons that they didn't is the businesses who were going to have to foot the bill, who wield a significant amount of political power, did not want to pay it. Um, and the unions who had secured for themselves these gold-plated health care plans would have to give up these gold-plated health care plans. You know, the good stuff that the elites get, you, of course, have to get the leftover garbage. When the unions are faced with them having to also get in line with the rest of us, they're like, nah, I don't want to do that. And that's the one thing you should always be aware of. Once you give up control of your health care to a single-payer government bureaucracy, you're never going to see it back, and you're going to lose your voice. And you're going to lose the quality of your health care. And it's going to happen in a number of ways. And one of the problems with health care as, uh, as, as an issue that we discuss to talk about the tenets of socialism, health care is difficult for most people because most people are not in medicine. So you don't see the inner workings of, of how it works. You don't see how the different policies affect the care that you have. And most of us are not accessing the healthcare system. So you don't really know how it works. You have the card in your pocket, meaning you have your health insurance card. And in your mind, you feel like, oh, well, I'm covered. It's not until you access the system that they say, you know, your deductible is $10,000. And you're like, man, I can't afford that. How am I supposed to get my surgery? Or you realize that the particular type of care that you get is not available. Uh, the other thing is, 
if you don't know what you don't know, how do you know you're not getting good care? I mean, I've heard some people say, hey, I, I have VA benefits and it's great. And I'm always asking them, well, how would you know? I mean, do you use the system to get a heart transplant or something like that? And listen, it's not that a blind squirrel can't find a nut every now and then. Sometimes if your medical issue lines up perfectly with the socialized system that you get, you might have a decent experience. But for the most part, uh, it's going to be an abject failure. And we see it over and over again. We know that in Canada where they have a socialized medicine system where it's illegal to contract outside of the government system. Uh, we have 60,000 people, last I checked, that leave Canada every year in order to seek medical care outside the country because they can't get it in the country. Uh, we see Canada has one of the most draconian uh, healthcare systems and uh, as we see these uh, the way COVID is working. So you got a government that is invested in COVID and the lockdowns and masking and all this sort of stuff. And so they're imposing vaccine mandates and the people have little power to combat that because the socialized medicine system in Canada has so much power over them. We just recently seen these truckers, uh, I wanna say 50,000 truckers, 70 miles long, going to Ottawa to protest these vaccine mandates. We, the one that always gets me is when the Obamacare debates were, were coming around and we were arguing in this country or debating in this country about whether or not to pass Obamacare, which is ostensibly socialized medicine, the premier of Newfoundland at the time, who was a very big advocate of socialized medicine, ended up coming down with a heart condition requiring surgery, a surgery that was not offered in Canada. And so the premier of Newfoundland flew to Miami to get his heart surgery and people confronted him with the obvious hypocrisy. Here you are, this big socialized medicine advocate, and you're flying out of the country and coming down to Miami where you can get this heart surgery, you know, which is working well for an elite like you. And he made the statement, I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember how it was exactly, but essentially what he said was, it's my health care and I can do what I want, which was just unbelievably ironic, this idea that the rich and powerful and connected, it's their health care and they can do what they want. But those of us trapped in a socialized medicine system, we apparently don't have any control. Now, you doubt me on this? We just recently saw a person who needed a heart transplant in Boston that was taken off the transplant list because he was not vaccinated. You got these government bureaucrats that are making decisions about who gets care and who doesn't get care. That's what we call rationing. Now, whenever you talk about a scarce resource on planet Earth, which just about everything is, there has to be a way for distributing these scarce resources. And there's really only two ways to do it. Number one, the best way is a free market. The beauty of the free market is you have an infinite number of ideas and people thinking about ways to deliver goods and services to an infinite number of wants, needs, and desires. And we see that when a free market is implemented, that we always have exactly the right amount of products delivered to exactly the right amount of people in the proportions that we need them. You know, some people like small, some people like medium, some people like large, some people like diet, some people like, uh, you know, sugar. The options are always there in a free market. And there is no way 
for any individual or any group of individuals to possibly internalize all the wants, needs, and desires of millions of people. It's not possible. It's infinite. But a free market can do that. And a free market always fills a void where there's a want, a need, or a desire. Government can't do that, as we saw in Venezuela. You got Hugo Chavez taking over the oil industry. Well, they don't know anything about oil, and soon it collapsed, and now the country is literally starving. The same thing happens in healthcare, where it gets taken over by people who don't know healthcare. And, and I can tell you this right now we are seeing censorship in science, which is really one of the most frightening things I've seen in my lifetime, actually something I never thought I would see in my lifetime. I mean, I know people who were alive through World War II. We've seen the fascism of fascist Italy and Nazi Germany and, and, and Russia and the communist uh, takeover there, the Eastern Bloc. We lived through this. And for those of you who are confused, these were all far left-wing ideologies. It drives me crazy. You, it, it's like Sean Penn. It's like Madonna and Danny Glover telling me how amazing Hugo Chavez is, how he's just got it all figured out, literally drives Venezuela into the ground in no time flat. Where are they? They literally did everything that they want done in this country. Venezuela literally did it all. Full-on socialism, full-on top-down government control of everything, just like they want here, and they crashed and burned. That's what Nazi Germany was. That's what the Soviet Union was. That's what fascist Italy was. It was the government control of production, the government control of health care, the government control of everything. That fails. The only other way to manage scarce resources or to allocate scarce resources is through rationing. That's what socialism is. They control the means of production, they control all the goods and services, and they decide who gets what. And not surprisingly, the rich and the connected, the premier of Newfoundland, they always tend to get what they need, and it's the rest of us, this guy from Boston who doesn't want to get the vaccine, apparently he's not allowed to have a heart transplant. Now, you know, we always talk about this idea that... Um, you know, a free market in medicine is is uh, playing into greed, that somehow a free market economy is about greed. Human beings operate in their own self-interest. That's what we do. Now, that's not to say that we can't be moral, that we can't follow a code, that we can't be charitable. In fact, the people who engage in a free market are the most charitable people. That's been shown in study after study. It's the left who has no charity. They want the government to handle everything. Well, the government couldn't care less about you, and the government doesn't have a heart, and we see it all the time. This guy from Boston, he's off the transplant list because he won't get a vaccine. Now, listen, when I first got into medical school, we used to, uh, you know, you're learning all this stuff. You're learning all these, you know, the way the body works and all these incredibly complex diseases and it was incredibly interesting um, and I loved it I was born for this stuff the way the body works um, is, is just really a, a, an astonishing and amazing it's proof to me that there is a supreme being in this world that there is a God that there is life after death I firmly believe that medicine has shown that to me in in many different ways but the human body is is just 
absolutely stunning and incredible. And I wanted to learn how that worked. And in order for me to learn it, it's an infinite amount of material. I mean, there's no way to know it all. In fact, I had a friend of mine who told me once that when you finish med school, the best thing you're going to be able to say to people is that you forgot more than most people ever knew, which is true. I have forgotten a lot, but I did remember a lot. And I was motivated to study for a variety of different reasons. Number one, I wanted to be the best doctor possible. I've always shared my story. It took me five tries to get into medical school. I, was, I didn't get accepted until my fifth try. And by the time I got into medical school, I coveted this position so much that I, and, and I was older and more mature. I was five years older than most of my classmates, not all. Uh, but I believed in my soul that it was my duty to my future patients to be the best possible doctor I could be. And I studied to my limit. When I look back on what I did in medical school, I could never do it again. It was every fiber of my being to learn everything that I could. But I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of that motivation came because I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. And people want to be orthopedic surgeons because they tend to make the most money. For me, money was not a great motivator, but I definitely wanted to be able to pay back my medical school bills. And a lot of other uh, specialties would not reimburse me enough to cover the cost that I borrowed in order to become a doctor. Um, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon because it's the most fun. We, we have the coolest surgeries. And, you know, I'm a sports guy. I wanted to be a sports medicine doctor. And that that means you have to be an orthopedic surgeon. And so I had a self-interest in wanting to be able to get into orthopedics, which meant I had to get good grades and I had to study and I had to compete. That's the world we live in. And as a result, man, I used to sit there at night crying myself to sleep. Why can't we just have pass-fail? Why do I have to know all this stuff in this great detail? Well, the reason is, is because we live in a competitive world. And I would not be the doctor I am today if it was pass-fail. Because there were times where I would have just said, you know what, this is enough. I don't want to read anymore. I don't want to read it one more time. You know, we used to read books. You know, we used to call it the three read-through rule. If you couldn't read something three times, you shouldn't read it at all because it won't stick in your brain. Some things like microbiology, I read seven times, nine times, ten times to get every word memorized. There was an effort there, and I was motivated to do it. You see kids today, they go to college. They borrow this money that they know they're not going to have to pay back, and they don't even go to class. They go surfing. Or they borrow this money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, they get a degree in women's studies, and then they finish, and they find out in the real world, nobody cares about people who know about women's studies, and you can't get a job reimbursing you enough so that you can pay back your student loans. And so you basically have this worthless degree. The point is, regardless of whether or not there's some kind of socialized government system, there's always a free market. When you look at these places like the Soviet Union and, and other, other places, there's always what they call the black market. That's the free market because there is always a desire for goods and services and people are always willing to pay for them. Now, in a constitutional republic like we have where there are laws, it makes doing that easy. In the Soviet Union or in these you know, socialized um, countries, these police state countries, it's the black market is a lot, lot more difficult to run. You get caught, you get thrown in prison or worse. That ends up driving up costs and makes things difficult. 
constitutional republic where we have the rule of law and we follow it, that's what gives you the freedom. That's what gives you opportunity. That's what allows producers to produce goods and services at the lowest price with the most choices and the best quality and gives us as consumers the best uh, the best options. And we get to choose to spend our money on ourselves, meaning the best way to spend money. And we have the most options. You know, when I was young and I first got out of school, I was, you know, young and healthy. I didn't have any medical problems. I was able to buy a relatively cheap uh, catastrophic medical plan. I mean, basically it covered me if I were to get cancer or I were to get hit by a bus, but it didn't have a lot of perks if I, you know, wanted to get checkups or, you know, if I'd go and get cut and get stitches and things like that. There were some copays and things like that. It wasn't as good a coverage, but it was perfect for me at the time. I was young. I didn't have a lot of money, but it allowed me to take care of myself in case I got hit by a truck or, God forbid, got cancer or something like that. As I got older, I had children. I was able to get a different plant that had more bells and whistles that worked for me. That's all gone now. Now it's one size fits all. I mean, if you're uh, a man, single man, I have to pay for menopause care, or sorry, for, uh, you know, female care. This is ridiculous. I have no chance of needing uh, any type of, uh, you know, female type care as a single man, but the government wants my money. And that was one of the big things that's been causing Obamacare to fail is young people are resistant to wanting to pay money to cover things that they're never going to need. And the thing is, the money is only the front. They eventually run out of money, just like we see in the UK, where costs go through the roof and eventually we can't afford uh, we can't afford anything. And so the services go down, down and down. Now, <clears throat> When, the, when we allow the government to get control of our health care, one of the most important things that we could have is our health care, especially when you have children. We see that the government decides who gets care, right? We see this guy in Boston. He won't get the vaccine, and so he's off the tra- transplant list. Now, listen, when I was in medical school, I, was, I, I got sidetracked. I was going to tell you this story. Um, you know, we're learning about all this cool stuff in medicine, and we couldn't wait. The first two years of medical school, you're in the classes, it's all books. Then you start going onto the floors and interacting with patients. And it was a really exciting time because you have all this knowledge. You've just been reading about biology and chemistry and physiology and anatomy and pathology and microbiology and immunology, all this stuff. You want to get out onto the floors and start seeing patients and solve the problem. You know, like House, that TV show House, you know, where he knows everything and everybody's got like the coolest disease. And one of the things that you used to learn about was a thing called a Kaiser Fleischer ring, which is there's a a disease called Wilson's disease, which is where patients have difficulty with copper transport in their body. And so the copper will concentrate in their iris. And when you look in their eye, you can see a blue hue in there. It's called a Kaiser Fleischer ring. It's a clue. And so you're out there wanting to find somebody with Wilson's disease. And then you get out onto the floors and you realize that... There's not a lot of Kaiser Fleischer rings out there. You know what most of medicine is? Drug addiction, emphysema from smoking, heart disease from refusing to take care of yourself, diabetes. And diabetes to me is the most horrible of diseases because it kills you slowly. And most people who are not sophisticated 
have no idea what's happening. It's hard to, you don't feel anything until the damage is already done. And so you have people out there with diabetes, and then you have gang violence. So drug addiction, emphysema, heart disease, gang violence, uh, and then STDs, you know, unprotected sex type stuff. So that is medicine. And we would get up as, as uh, listen, I'm sharing with you guys inside baseball stuff. This is my class, 152 or 154 of us, men and women, more, mostly women, uh, which is a story for another day. Most of my class was women because of the social engineering, but most of the doctors right now are not women. Uh, we'll talk about that one day. And listen, not that women are not perfect. My wife is the smartest person I know. Uh, it's just in life, people make their own decisions, and social engineering doesn't work. But anyway, you got all these people, different backgrounds and everything, and the first thing we would say to each other is, when do I get to see a Kaiser Fleischer ring? And the point we were trying to make is, God, we got onto the floors expecting to see all these cool diseases like on house, being able to, we have all this knowledge, we want to solve the crime, you know, we want to solve the mystery, I want to do a great exam, and I want to get all the clues out of you, and I want to figure out what the diagnosis is, but... We never get that opportunity because we always know two minutes in, emphysema from smoking, heart disease from eating poorly, diabetes poorly controlled because they won't take their medicine, um, gang violence, gunshot wounds, things like that, and then STDs. And over and over, day after day, that's what you get. Of course, you get the occasional something else, but that was kind of the routine. Now, the point I'm trying to make here is as medical students, we would talk to each other about this like, wow, it seems like there are an awful lot of people accessing the healthcare system that are there from self-inflicted wounds. And that maybe a lot of this stuff would go away. I used to say, if we could just bring middle school kids onto the floors and let them see, you know, 50-year-old people that look like they're 100 that are suffering from emphysema and heart disease and all this stuff from smoking and bad decisions, man, that would motivate people to make different decisions when they're young to see this stuff, you know? The point I'm making is I had to make a deal with myself that God put me in a position to be able to care for people, and I'm never going to judge people. My job is to care for you. If you get in front of me, I will do my best to take care of you. And it doesn't matter that you're a drunk driver and you just killed a bunch of people. That has happened to me. But then all of a sudden we come up, and now people who don't want to get a new vaccine these are the people that all of a sudden the system is deciding to withdraw care from? I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? With all the bad decisions that people make that we ignore all the time, and, and it, we should, I mean, in a, <clears throat> in a free healthcare system. Uh, am I back? Yep, you're back. So in a free society, you know, we should be caring for people, not, not judging uh, uh, you know, people based on their decisions. I mean, people are free to do what they want to do. And if they get injured, my job is, is to heal you and to care for you. And that's my oath and I'll do it. But then we, all of a sudden we get in this situation where the state is gathering control of our healthcare system and they decide that refusing a new experimental vaccine, that's the thing that is going to make them decide to withdraw your care. This guy from Boston, he can't have a heart transplant because he's not vaccinated. And listen, it doesn't have to be about COVID. It doesn't have to be about a vaccine. It's just about medical care. You've got people that don't know you, that don't care about you, that are deciding some of the most important decisions you're ever going to make, how you're going to manage your health care. 
<clears throat> censorship. Who do we listen to? You know, I always tell the story of Joseph Lister. I'm going to tell him one more time. So Joseph Lister lived from 1827 to 1912, and he's known as the father of antiseptic surgery. So his uh, introduction of his sterilization procedures dramatically decreased deaths associated with childbirth and surgery. But his story was interesting. He was not embraced when he first came out with his scientific findings. He was considered perhaps a spreader of misinformation of his time. Um, it took a long time for the people in the medical field to accept Lister's findings. A lot of them were incredulous at the thought that organisms too small to be seen were causing all of these post-operation deaths. Some found it tiring to have to go through sterilization processes before performing an operation. And although some of them tried Lister's methods, a majority of them did it incorrectly, that their efforts proved to be useless. He was now a professor of clinical surgery at Edinburgh, and he continued to modify his systems to achieve better results despite all the negative feedback. It took 12 long years before Lister's system gained widespread acceptance. Those who emulated Lister's example in Munich gained astounding success with the death rate caused by infection after surgery dropping from 80% to almost zero. The English doctors were among the last to accept the brilliance of Lister's methods, only winning them over when he was appointed as a professor of surgery in London's King College Hospital in 1877. By 1879, his findings had gained widespread acceptance around the globe. Listen, folks, medicine and science is complicated. We need to listen to everybody's views. There are no arbiters of misinformation or truth. We do it by the scientific method. We add more information. We discuss. We debate. We think openly. And in the end, you have to maintain control over your own health care. Socialism kills and socialized medicine kills. And we're never going to start stop talking about the fact that socialized medicine is not the way to go. We've seen it just in the last couple of days. California, overwhelming majority of Democrats, and even they refuse to pass this socialized medicine bill in their state because they know it doesn't work. I hope this opened your eyes a little bit and gave you guys some good information. Thanks for listening to Dr. Scott Barber on the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to me on America's Web Radio, and I will catch you next time. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.